It's Friday, May the 8th. We're studying 2 Peter. We are in 2 Peter chapter 2. Let's take a look at our passage, get back into the context here. You might remember just looking at the screen. Here is our paragraph uh, change. Uh, this is a segment that uh, really is splits this verse in half, verse number 10. But remember, we've dealt with all these examples, all the ifs, if God did this, if God did that. Well, then certainly... God knows how to rescue and he knows how to punish and he's going to do that. He's going to rescue you if you're faithful to uh, his word from the false teachers and he's going to punish the false teachers. And then he's talking here looking back, especially those who indulge in the flesh of defiling, pas defiling passion, those who despise authority. And then we said this is a paragraph break because all of this now begins to describe the false teachers in their day in their church. So uh, we're looking now to the problem and it's described this way. It's very short. All we're going to deal with is the second half of verse number 10. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. And that's a, actually a very interesting phrase, a sentence, because half of a sentence at least, because we're going to get into some stuff here that's quite unique and interesting. Uh, we're going to see how this relates to words and things that we don't normally relate to them, like blaspheme and glorious ones. So let's start with these two words, bold and willful. Let's start with the word bold. Um, this is, at least as a noun, a um, hapax legomenon. I guess we could talk about that for a second if we want. You might hear that or see that when you're um, reading a commentary. Uh, oh, I need to learn to spell legom menon, not my strength here. Uh, legomenon, that's a, this, is, this is a Greek phrase, but it's used all the time in commentaries. Uh, hapax means one time or once, and uh, terrible handwriting. And legomenon, that's the passive form of the word to say or to cite. So this is a once cited word, only one time that it appears in the Bible. And I really shouldn't say that, I guess, about the word bold here, because we do see it as a noun uh, over 10 times, probably 13 times, as I recall. Um, matter of fact, I'm going to show you a couple examples here. Uh, when it speaks of the rightful assessment of yourself in light of other people. Uh, for instance, when the they finally started to realize, uh, the critics and Pharisees, who were trying to get at Christ, when they realized that no one was able to answer him, Jesus kept twisting them into pretzels when he was arguing and debating with them. Uh, it says, um, nor from that day did anyone, here's our word, at least in the verbal form, in that day, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Why? Because they knew they would lose because they were not that stupid, right? That's the idea of this concept, to, to dare. Um, they had a rightful understanding after being proven in this debate with Christ that they couldn't win, so they didn't dare do it. Or, as we're going to see, Lord willing, when we get back to Acts, our study of Acts, uh, talking about the um, apostles, and these miracles were being done through the apostles, and it was just a formidable you know set of guys with the power that God was uh, channeling through these guys that God was using them in a powerful way and it said none of the rest of the disciples that is uh, dare to join them the apostles um, because the people held them but the people held them in high esteem so here's our word in the verbal form dared in other words I know I'm not an apostle I know I can't lay my hands on people and heal people I know I'm not you know uh, doing the things that the apostles are doing 
in these uh, first few chapters of Acts. And so they were like, I'm not going to associate with them. I don't dare do it. I have a rightful assessment of myself. So that's the idea of the word here, though it is a hapax legomenon, which, by the way, if it's talking about more than one of those, a list of those would be hapax legomena for what it's worth. But you can drop that at a dinner party and have a, a new word if you didn't know that one. Uh, okay, so bold. That's the idea. Now, the idea of bold, if you were to invert it, uh, you would see the rightful perspective that we have. For instance, like the Apostle Paul, he says, I ventured, that's the word, the verbal form of the word. You could say, I dared not to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me uh, to bring to the Gentiles obedience by word and deed. So I, I'm not going to say more than I ought to say. I'm not going to dare to say more than I ought to say. Well, here's the same word in the verbal form <laughs> for hypax legomenon. It seems like there's a lot of usages of the word. Sorry. I, I'm just trying to make it clear that was a once occurrence of the noun form. Anyway, okay. Uh, he says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. It's a foolish thing to do. But he's saying, I'm not going to get into a, you know, a comparative with these people. I don't dare do that. It's not, I'm not going to do that. So Paul here, we see this uh, humility, uh, even though he had a lot of firepower in these conversations, he was going to have the right perspective. And that's not what the false teachers do. They are bold and they are, here's the other word, willful. This is an interesting word too, the idea of um, being, um, and this only occurs twice actually in the New Testament, uh, this word uh, has to do with being self-serving, self-promoting, uh, self-willed. Um, it's uh, a word that deals with that kind of stubbornness about me and myself. You can see the pattern we're going to have here in this uh, whole section in 2 Peter 2. Uh, and the opposite, the only other time this word shows up, is right here in Titus chapter 1, uh, verse 7. And it's translated, instead of willful, it's translated arrogant, and it's negated, of course. Uh, he must not be, speaking of the overseer in the church, uh, overseer. Uh, pastor and elder, all the same synonymous uh, words. They're used interchangeably. They're different words. Um, episkopos is this Greek word. Presbyteros is the word elder. And poimen is the Greek word for pastor. All of those are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. Anyway, so we're talking about pastors here, leaders in the church. Now, they're not to be, now here's our word, willful. They're not to be arrogant. They're not to be stubbornly about themselves. And it goes on to other things, quick-tempered, drunkard, violent, etc. And you know the list here uh, in Titus chapter 1 and 1, Peter cha or 1 Timothy chapter 3. These uh, requirements, character requirements for the overseer, the elder, the pastor. So there's the only other reference to it. And again, I'm just trying to contrast here. If you compare the false teachers to the true teachers you ought to be following, they're not the stubborn, self-promoting, uh, willful, bold, daring, uh, no fear kind of people when it comes to themselves. Uh, they may be bold and courageous as it relates to the truth in Christ, which they should be, but they're not... Um, they're not self-willed. They're not bold in that sense. Um, now, what are they, the specific example that's used here, what are they bold and willful about? Well, they don't even tremble. There's no qualms about them blaspheming the glorious ones. And I thought before we went any further, we ought to talk about this reference here, glorious ones. If you look at the parallel passage, and I say that because Jude's covering the same things, uh, you've got this reference to Michael the archangel contending with the devil. Well, of course, these are angels, right? Michael and Satan are two angelic beings. 
and they were disputing about the body of Moses. He, that is Michael, did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but instead he deferred to prayer and he said, the Lord rebuke you. He's asking God to do that. So the idea of this uh, not trembling to blaspheme glorious ones, you can get the idea that we're talking about in this context, uh, in the parallel context, which helps us to understand this, we're talking about uh, angelic beings, and in this case is the evil angelic beings, glorious ones. Now that's not an odd way to refer to the angels. They come in glory, they have power, and even if they're positive or negative, they have power. Uh, that, when you think about, look at the screen here, when you think about the words that are used, I guess you could look at this passage if you were going to, and I say this passage, Second Peter and Jude, uh, to add to this list, but maybe you've studied angelology with me and you know that when you look at the categories in the Bible of angelic beings, you have words like this in Colossians 1.16, thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. Okay, And in Colossians 2, you've got these two repeated, rulers and authorities. In Ephesians chapter 1, you have talking about rule and authority, you also have these words, power and dominion talking about these angelic class of beings. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, rulers and authorities. Ephesians chapter 6, rulers and authorities. And it adds these powers, right, which we have a parallel to here, and forces in Romans, right? We have the category of angelic beings, and then we have these words, rulers and powers. Well, you could add to the way that the angelic beings are described in talking, uh, to, talking about them in terms of glorious beings. But I'm just trying to say we're dealing with the angelic class, um, and we see that throughout the scripture we have designations of those classes. When you think about M uh, Michael being called an archangel, now he's dealing with uh, Satan, who we know from Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 is a seraphim or a seraph. Um, that seraph, the angel, I mean, he's seeing the distinction in, in power here, and uh, he does not uh, blaspheme in that sense. He doesn't blaspheme. And I guess that's the next thing we need to look at. How can we use the word blaspheme uh, to talk about Satan or demons? Well, because blaspheme, even though I usually define it as uh, thinking less of something sacred, uh, I usually use my hands when I describe this because it really didn't have to be with something sacred as in holy. It's thinking less of, talking less of, considering less of something that is bigger, something that is better, something that is more powerful. I don't want to underestimate it, and I don't want to speak of it like it's a small thing. Uh, that's the problem in this passage. They are bold and willful, and they speak less of, in this case, glorious ones, just like Michael, the example in Jude, is not going to blaspheme or speak less of Satan, even though he's a bad individual, right? He's a bad demon. So uh, this idea is important to see. And the blaspheme used in a uh, reference to things that are less than they are, you see throughout this text. Um, they're not even going to have any qualms or tremble about blaspheming the glorious ones. Look at how often this word shows up. They do not pr pronounce a blasphemous judgment uh, against the Lord. In that case, of course, he's the Holy One. Um, they are blaspheming. Now, this is not just about the Lord or something good, about matters which they're ignorant. And the example in the um, parallel passage there in Jude is Satan. They're acting like it's no big deal. And again, the summary in Jude 
uh, verse 10 is they these people blaspheme they speak less of that which they don't understand they don't understand the power of it they don't understand the magnitude of it and i say it but the in this example in jude of an angelic being so how does that relate to the church well look at this they don't tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, the powerful angelic class. Um, you can go on YouTube, and this took me one second just to throw it in. I had a long list, but i give you the top two. Here's how so often Christianity looks at their, um, I mean, their heroes are the ones that are doing things like this. Well, I'm canceling the evil plan of the enemy, or in this case, I'm rebuking the enemy. And, uh, you know, all this prophetic spiritual warfare talk or, um, you know, even not just Satan himself, but they talk about the spirits or the demons of fear, rebuking the spirit of fear. And you can see why. Well, I get that it's a good thing that we're going to be fearless. But the idea of uh, being fearless is not just as these are so often the case. It's about you know, I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm going to rebuke the enemy. Uh, I found this on the internet. I rebuke and cancel and destroy. And here's the biggest letter in this sentence. Uh, I rebuke and cancel and destroy every assignment and attack of the enemy and cancel every curse or negative word ever spoken over my life. And then, of course, well, it's all a Christian prayer in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, you know what? I, I often say jokingly, these parents that believe this kind of theology can't even rebuke their children and get them to make their beds. And yet they believe that they are going to, by a word, rebuke and cancel and destroy all the enemy's power when in our passage we see that's the problem here that that people are underestimating the power of the enemy and i don't care if you're going to call me enemy or satan the example in jude is even michael wouldn't do that so i think the reminder of all of this is that the false teachers are characterized by bold and willful attitudes in blaspheming or talking less of things they don't understand, including God, including angels, including all kinds of things that they don't fully grasp the importance of. So let me just close with a minute I got left here to remind you that 1 Peter chapter 5 would tell us that we ought to be clothed, like it's just all over us, clothing ourselves, uh, all of us, with humility toward one another. For God is always, and here's a great principle for us to, reminded, to be reminded of, often repeated in the Bible, He opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So our job is to humble ourselves, think rightly of ourselves, don't think more of ourselves than we ought to. And we do it, and I understand we have a connection here, but we're doing it under the mighty hand of God. And at the proper time, He can exalt us, right? Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. So be sober-minded and watchful. And we're not against the idea of understanding the enemy's power. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And I can resist him. That's fine. I'm going to fight his attacks, as Ephesians 6 says. I'm going to put on the armor of God, and I'm going to stand firm in my faith. Faith in what? In my power? Faith in some kind of derived authority? No. My faith in God, knowing the same kinds of sufferings, these attacks of the enemy are happening all over the world. Your brotherhood throughout the world are experiencing these things. And after you've suffered a little while, of course, those who think they can rebuke all these things away, uh, they think they can determine how long it lasts, but we can't. It's all about God deciding this. The God of all grace, who has called you by his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, himself, that's a powerful emphasis in this passage, himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. It's all about the power and dominion going to God. It's not about me. It's not about me rebuking things. It's not about you following leaders. And I know we love this in America, people that don't tremble at anything. They're fearless about everything. Well, we need to be very respectful of the power that exists 
keeping ourselves in view, not even as Paul said, I'm not even going to dare to you know, make comparisons with my life and the life even of the, of the false teachers, which Paul was dealing with in 2 Corinthians. Uh, I'm going to entrust myself to God. I'm going to humbly put myself under his mighty hand. I'm going to pray. I'm going to resist the enemy, but I'm not going to go around acting like I've got some kind of bold and willful ability uh, to you know, talk less as though they were my chump or my child to make these uh, demons or anyone else do what I want, whether it's God commanding God around or commanding even uh, uh, demons around. I have no authority to do that. So helpful reminder, I hope for us, God is all about us being clothed in humility. And I trust that's a good reminder for you today. And uh, we certainly hope that you subscribe and you stay with us as we continue through our study of Second Peter. Mm-hmm.